Romans chapter 1, we're down in verse number 14, and uh, so we're going to move along here, verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, we, that verse 16 here now uh, brings to a conclusion the introduction to the book. And, uh, there, and when we come here now to the end of the book, the Apostle Paul is bringing in and bringing up three marks of maturity, spiritual maturity. He says, I'm a debtor. Then he says, I am ready to preach. And he, then he says, I am not ashamed. Okay? And the issues in that, it helps when you have a brain spelling. There, I just want to look at these three with you this morning. Because what Paul is doing now is he's going to use himself as an illustration, as a pattern uh, of what marks off spiritual maturity. He is not requiring the Romans to be at this point as we're starting Romans. They haven't gotten there yet. He says, here's what it looks like. Come over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I think that's going to, as we go down through this, it's important that we remember that and we think about that. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. If you drop down verse 3 and 4 about the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, okay? Verse 6, um, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. That issue of Paul is going to be this pattern now when it comes to the issue of suffering and comfort. If you want to see the pattern of how to work down through the tribulations and the trouble, you have Paul as that pattern. So when you come back to Romans 1, Paul says, hey guys, I am ready, I am a debtor, I am ready, and I'm not ashamed. Here's going to be the pattern, if you will, of spiritual maturity. Here's what it's going to look like. And again, we're at the end of the, uh, of the introduction to the book, starting in verse 17. For therein is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And now he's going to begin to talk about the gospel of Christ. Now, we're going to spend some time in verse 16 next week about the gospel of Christ and to the Jew first and also to the Greek, those statements that come up in people's conversation. But for 1 through 16, we've identified who the author is. We've identified who the audience is. We've identified God's attitude toward the believer today. We've identified all of this information, and then he comes and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're now going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to illustrate you from me the issue of what it is to be a debtor, 
that has to do with proper motivation. I am ready, that has to do with being properly equipped, okay? And then I'm not ashamed has to do with the preservation, and this is why I borrowed this from a gentleman, because of the peas, preservation of, of the will. And what's going to happen there is as we look through these, come over with me to Romans chapter 5. You will see these three all through the book of Romans. You will see these all through Paul's epistles, this trifecta, the three here. If you look at Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by what? Well, there's our faith, okay, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, verse 5, and hope maketh what? Not a shame. So there's hope. There's going to be love or charity, as 1 Corinthians, what does 1 Corinthians 13, 13 say? Now abideth hope, um, faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these is charity. So you have the marks of the three marks of spiritual maturity in the issues of faith, hope, and charity. Paul comes in in Romans and says, I'm a debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed, and here they are. So when you come back into Romans 1, and as we're going to just spend the morning looking at these three quickly, because we're gonna, we'll hit them as we run through there, when he says, I am a debtor, usually we think about what? Paying the mortgage, pay, paying the credit card bill, pay, paying a car loan, something where we are obligated to pay back. And if we don't pay back, then there's a consequence to it. That's usually when we, when we think about, I am a debtor. That's what we're thinking about. Uh, come over to Romans 13. Romans 13. That, I'll just tell you, that's not what Paul's talking about, okay? He's talking about the issue of being properly motivated. Motivation. If you look at Romans 13, verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything but to what? To love one another. All right? Paul's not talking about paying back anything, Romans 13, 8. But, but rather he's talking about something very much, very deeper than that. Because now he's talking about, he's talking about motivation. Come back over to chapter 11 of Romans. What happens when you think about when Paul says, I am a debtor? What usually happens in the religious system is they say, see, you owe God. So you got to live for God. you got to do right. you got to live a clean life. You got, and so we're going to pay back God for saving you. You know, it was a track one time I read said, how to get saved? Great question. Opened it up. There was another title that says, how to stay saved. Why? Because we owe God, don't we? We owe him everything, so we're going to pay him back, and he's going to have a great deal. Look at what he got when he got me. He got a boom, all this stuff. 
And, and that, you know what you do when you say that? You offend God, literally. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. So don't let that creep into your mind. If we have to pay God back, then his grace was not a free gift. If you look at Romans 11 and verse number 6, very clear here. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. You can just stop right there. You don't even have to keep reading. If I've got to work to pay something back, then what is it? It's no more grace. Now it's become something completely different. It's become something you've energized in your flesh to do. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. They are mutually exclusive of one another. They cannot be mixed. So when he talks here about being a debtor, it's something much deeper. Come over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's something much deeper than just, you know, saying, hey, I owe you. Put it, up, put it on my account. You know, he tells the Corinthians that if I owe you something, if he owes you, or, or uh, Philemon with Onesimus, if he owes you something, just credit it to my account. See, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about what religion out there talks about, we owe God and we got to do. But rather, he's talking about an indebtedness that he felt, Paul felt, that we should feel for the world about us. You got 2 Corinthians just flip back to Romans 1, verse 14. Because the verse tells you who he's a debtor to. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He's a debtor to who? That's the world. Okay? And the indebtedness that he felt was for the world. A world that has rejected him. By the way, the, the same that they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. A world, and what did Christ do? He went to Calvary for a world that rejected him. He went to Calvary, Paul here, for a world that executed him. He's executed by the government, Rome, both cases, Paul and the Lord. He was, he, he was a debtor. He, he, he went to bat for them, for those a world that abandoned him. You think about the Lord and Paul. Paul says in the last, in, in 2 Timothy 4, no man stood with me. He's abandoned by the community of his friends. The Lord over there, he, Peter denies him. The Lord doesn't say anything. He just looks at him. And the Lord stood alone. He was alone. His friends had all took off and run. The last one to leave the scene was Peter. He's gone. He denied him. It's gone. Paul's the same way, abandoned, rejected, executed, abandoned. So the, the type of debt, indebtedness that Paul's dealing with, come back there to 2 Corinthians 4, is he's talking about that thing in Romans 13, 8. Oh, no man, not anything but to what? Love one another. You see, there's something going on down inside, an internal motivation that causes Paul to look at the world and says, I owe you a debt here. I owe you something. 
Because what did he have internally? He had something to give them that they needed. So I owe them. I don't know if you ever think about what motivates a firefighter to run into a fiery building. That's a, there's an indebtedness there that they have. You think about a parent with their children. That's an indebtedness there. Take care of what's going on. It's an internal motive. Now, by the way, to be a firefighter or a first responder, or yeah, you think about a doctor and all that, who, what motivates someone to go through 50 years of school to work on somebody, you know? Well, they, they have something internally going on, you know? They have something that's there. But it takes skill, doesn't it? It takes training, doesn't it? You know? But at the same token, you think about a parent. Everybody says, oh, there's no handbooks to being a parent. There is. It's right here. They just don't like it. But for a mom to naturally love her children is something that you, they, she didn't go through a 20-hour course to love her kids. It's something internally that's going on here, something that's happening inside of them. It does take training and skill to rescue those who need help, who are helpless. And Paul says, I'm a debtor to that. I have an internal motivation to help. 2 Corinthians 4, notice, if you will, notice verse 6. We're going to kind of look at this passage in a little backwards way, but we'll get there. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Paul takes us right back to Genesis 1. It's interesting. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, and the earth was without form, right? And darkness was on the face of the earth. What's the first thing God created on day one? And God said, let there be light. Turns on the light. Shines the light in on what's going to happen now. Here again, he's turning on the light. Verse 6, has shined in our hearts. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, we need to understand what he's doing. So what did he do? He said, hey, it's time to turn the lights on again. And he turned the light on, but it's a light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What did he give to Paul? The progressive revelation of the the Lord, didn't he? The, The last and final installment of the information. Now it's time to do this, turn on the light, but it's a light of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. It's a light of education and edification process. It's a a light that's going to come in now and work in us, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure, great wealth, you know, I don't know if you guys, I watch TV. It's a mind shut down for me. And they have those guys panning for gold and digging for gold in the Alaska, which is probably some back country somewhere in Montana, you know. But they got them down there, and what are they doing? They find one nugget, and then what are, what are they after? The mother load, aren't they? But when they find the nugget, they don't keep digging at one level. Where do they go? Down. Get down to the bedrock. We've got to get down there where it's at. Guess what? 
we've got this treasure. And it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. If you come back over, hold on to stick something in 2 Corinthians here. Come back to Romans 11 again. Romans 11. You see, folks, when he says, I'm a debtor, there's something internally motivating Paul to do some things here for a world that it's not natural for you and I to love the world. You know that? I'm, I'm sorry, it's not, it's, it is natural for you and I to love the world about us. It is unnatural for you to not love it. Now, I said that backwards. Romans 11. Let's just do the verse. Verse 33. I'll get there. Oh, the depths of the riches. See the depths deep of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of who? What is the riches? The knowledge of God. Verse 33. Romans eleven thirty-three. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Oh, the depth, the, rich, the riches, the treasure is what? Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. The, that understanding, that plan to take back the heavenly places. Come back over to Ephesians chapter 3. So what do we begin to do? We go looking for the treasure, don't we? We get our little metal detectors out and go comb the desert looking for... I knew a guy, he did that. He would, after the fair would come into town, they, the, he would leave, they would leave, he'd go walk that field, take him two days, and he's picking up quarters and dimes and nickels, and he actually found wedi- a wedding ring, and he found all this jewelry and stuff people dropped, you know. He would go in during the fair, was, this was back when the fairs were not on concrete, they were on dirt. And uh, he would mark out where the Ferris wheel sat or where the roller coasters went. And he'd go there first and, you know, do it. Why? Because what's he looking for? Treasure. Treasure hunting. So we go treasure hunting, don't we? Ephesians 3, verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is that fellowship What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Folks, we have a message, don't we? We have some knowledge, some understanding, some wisdom that's been given to us. As we learn and as we grow, go back to 2 Corinthians 4. As we learn and as we grow and as we mature, Paul says, what is naturally going to become your attitude is I'm a debtor. The message is going to come along and it's going to change you. So that when you look at that world out there, you say, I got something that you need. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are, what? Who are the barbarians and the Greeks? Who are the wise and the unwise? They're the unlost. He says, I'm I'm not a debtor to the body of Christ. I'm the apostle. I'm giving you the goods. I'm a debtor. I owe something to the world out there, to the lost. 
in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Our attitude to the lost, what did Jesus Christ do? What did the Lord do? He went and died for them, didn't he? He loved them, but God commended his love toward us, that motivation of love. We are to have that heart of a servant. Think about that. We have the message about eternal life, don't we? And we ought to owe, we owe the world to get it out there to them. Come over to chapter 5. That's when he talks about I'm a debtor. Chapter 5. I want all to hear about eternal life. I want all to hear about, I, we preach Christ crucified, 1 Corinthians 1 says. We're, we're to be out here giving that gospel message. Why? Because we owe it to them. We don't, the world doesn't owe us anything. They don't like you and I. They don't. If you start talking to anyone about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, about studying the Bible, guess what happens? They don't like you. Sometimes that's okay. <laughs> they leave you alone, you know. But a lot, sometimes they don't. They want to argue with you. Especially if you throw in the issues of right division, then oh my goodness, look out. Because religion doesn't like that at all. Then Paul brings up something here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. You see how he invokes the love of Christ? There's going to be three things here that are going to pop in about the love of Christ. It does what? It constrains, doesn't it? It comes along and begins to, it, it, it begins to force you to do something. It's going to constrain you. It's going to motivate you to do some things that are not natural, that are unnatural. It is unnatural to love those who hate you. The natural thing to do is to, to put a whooping on them, to defend yourself. I was going to say put a bullet between their eyes, but then I'll get in trouble. Oh, I just said it, sorry. <laughs> said my wife's already, oh, you're going to get it. Yeah, two to the head, right, exactly. Right? No, it's natural to do what? Stay away from them. Get away. Don't mess. And Paul, Paul, you know, Paul never did that. He gets up out of Derby, Lystra. They left him for dead. He gets right up, dust off, and goes right back into town. You know? He had some understanding about some things. Constrains me. Comes in, and his love compels us to love the world, it grips us. You know, the more you learn, the more you grow, the more valuable his love for you becomes. But he had the same love for that unsaved world out there. 
because that's where you were. And it begins to move you. It begins to motivate you. It begins to take you from one place and move you to another place. Now come over with me to Job. Job 32. Because there's an illustration of this issue of constrainment. And I've got it written here, so in my Bible, in the notes, so it's been, been here a while. But notice this issue in Job 32 that will illustrate this thing about being constrained. You have Elihu show up here, and he's a young man. He, he's a hothead, quite honestly. But yet he understands to give the three friends and Job the respect of listening to them. By the way, that's gone today. Everybody wants to be right. You're going to shut up and listen to what I got to say. And I don't care who you are, how long you've been doing this. And sometimes you should be quiet and listen. Elihu does it. He, he's going to do that. Verse 2, 32-2. Then was, notice, kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel the... Could you imagine being called a Buzzite? Where are you, who are you? I'm a Buzzite. Of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled. He was, he was angry with Job for letting the three buddies, the three miserable friends, kick him around. Because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled. Because they found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Notice that issue of his wrath is kindled. Verse 5. When Elihu saw that the three was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. Verse 6. He's going to speak. I am young and ye are very old, wherewith I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. I'm just going to give you guys the respect due to you and let you talk, but enough now. But drop down, if you will, to verse 18. For I, verse 17, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show my opinion. For I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is, a, is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. His wrath was what? Kindled. It was building, wasn't it? No matter. I love that. Matter. Information, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. And he says, it did what to me? Verse 18. It constrained me. It motiv- his anger motivated him to his opinion. But what's interesting is in verse 19, in the fermentation process of wine, grape juice going to wine, it produces a gas that is, if it it is not allowed to evaporate and to be released, what's it going to do? It's going to blow up. It's going to burst. So if you think about this, about my motivation, I've got all, it constrains me. I've got all this, I'm learning, I'm growing. Come back to Romans 1. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm, I'm getting there, and, and I, it's 
bursting out all over me. Remember, it's, one time I heard a guy call it the Jeremiah fire. You know, Jeremiah got thrown in jail, and the word did what? It burned inside of him, so he couldn't shut. He told God, I ain't talking to him. You can't make me. That's the, my version. God says, oh, yeah, watch. And his bur- the word did what? Burned in him. You see, the constrainment, the I am debtor, that word's working in me, and I can't keep quiet. It's bursting out. I want to get it out. The more I learn, the more I value his love for me, the more I think about, the more I gain in the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge. It just won't, I just can't be quiet. It's that wine in the bottle. Boom. So he says in verse 15 of Romans 1, as much as in me is... What's in him? This doctrine bursting out of him. Movement. Hey, as much as in me is, I am what? Ready to preach the gospel. Hey, guys, I got all this going on inside of me, and I just got to get it out, and I'm ready to go. I am properly equipped. I am ready. What does 2 Timothy 2.15 say? Look over there at that verse. Most of you can quote it, but I think you need to read it sometime. I am properly equipped. I am ready to go. I, I got this down. I got this, this indebtedness. I, I, I owe. He, he says over there to the Romans, he's, he says, all the creatures have heard the message. He looks at Thessalonians and says, man, I, I come to you guys. I go down there because I have no more. I have no parts in this place talking. You guys are doing the job. So I'm coming to see you because, boom, you know, it just invigorates him. And then he says, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are wrong. Verse 15, 2 Timothy 2.15, study. How do you get properly equipped? You study. Study to show thyself approved unto who? Do you realize that God expects you to be prepared He anticipates you. He requires it of you to be prepared properly. That needed a a workman is work. It's being renewed day by day. Reading three chapters a day. Keeping it in front of you. Needeth not to be, uh uh-oh, there's our word, ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, when Paul says, come back to Ephesians 3, I am ready. He's talking about, I am, I am equipped. I am motivated. I got the proper motivation. I'm properly equipped. I'm ready to go, and I'm bursting at the brim here. I'm overflowing. I'm ready to get out there. Ephesians 3, verse 17 Paul says to the Ephesians that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the what? The love of Christ. There it is. The love of Christ. 
which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness therein. Filled. The fullness. Think about that. When he, by the way, when he says passeth knowledge, he's, talking of not, he's not talking about you can't know it. He just told you you can comprehend it. He's talking about that it's, it's moving on. It's, it's like a race car on a racetrack and they pass each other. It's passing it. It's movement. Notice the passage carefully. Filled you with all the fullness of God. That's a wonderful statement. To be filled with the things that God is filling you up with. What's he filling you up with? By the way, not more God. Some people think that. You already have the Godhead dwelling in you. How much more can you get? Well, you're going to get more if you do this and that. No, you're already blessed with it all. You're already complete. You're already... Um, that goofy verse over there. Sufficient. You're already, you already got all that in you. He, he's, he's filling you up with what? Verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. He's filling you up with knowledge, isn't he? Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge He's filling you up with some wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And Paul says, man, as much as in me is, I am full to the brim. And I'm out there, let's go. Come over to Colossians 1. You see, folks, that's why he's not requiring, Colossians 1, the Romans to be at this state in Romans. That's why he says, I Paul is there. The Romans are just learning. The book is just laying the... They're not there yet. They're still learning. They're still growing. they got to go through the edification process all the way down through Philemon. They haven't done that yet. He says, guys, when you get to the end of the, of the edification process of Philemon, you know what your natural bent should be? Your heart attitude should be this right here. You know what the goal of the purpose of the book of Romans? We saw it in verse 11 and 12 there, to get that edification in you. He says, man, when you get that in, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a debtor complex for the world about you. You're going to be ready. You're going to be filled to the brim. Wasn't that a commercial one time? I don't know. Okay. Coffee. Filled to the rim with brim. Thank you. All right. Colossians 1, you found that now, right? Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the health and the wealth and the prosperity. No, what does he say? That you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What's God the Father doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, isn't he? For us to go do what? 
populating to fill up the heavenly places. He's got a plan. We know the plan. We've got to learn the plan. Get filled up with what he's doing. That's why we started the second hour, the message on the glory plan. Get an idea of what he's doing. Fill it up with knowledge and wisdom. I'm sorry, uh, knowledge in his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What's God filling you up with? Wisdom, understanding. Gold, silver, precious stones. That's what he's filling you up with. Come over to Philippians or back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. You see, when Paul says, as much as in me is, well, what's in him? The doctrine. He's filled with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. He says, man, I'm ready. I'm going to come down there, and I'm going to preach the gospel to you, the guys that are at Rome. There's a lot of hiccups about why is he preaching the gospel to save people. Well, you've got to get your head out of the, your, the dirt and you know, look at that. That word gospel has a lot of different connotations to it. Okay, We'll talk about that next week. Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, see, folks, we don't live in ignorance. We looked last week at those ignorant brethren statements. You shouldn't live there. You've, you, you have been filled with all the knowledge and wisdom and understanding. It's there for you. It's been revealed to you. You just got to get in the book and do what? Work it out. Study it out. For it is God which worketh in you both to, to will and to do of his good pleasure. The love of Christ comes along and fills us up with his will. Think about the Lord. I, I think about the Lord in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He leaves the disciples and the apostles up. He goes down. And what does he pray? Not my will, but thine will be done. You know what Paul's saying here when he says, I am ready? He said, I'm filled up. I am so filled. I have the understanding. I see what God's doing today. I see his purpose, his plan. And you know what it's doing? It's changing my will. And the will of Paul, the will of you and I, is being brought into perfect alignment with the will of the Father. That's what Paul's talking about. I'm grown up. I don't know it all, but I'm grown up. So you know what I do? I act like a grown-up acts. I talk like an adult talks. I do the things that an adult in the family of God would do. Follow that? Sometimes we don't do that. We act like a child. We talk like children. So we're not here yet. 
He says, man, when you get filled with what God's doing, you know what you're going to put away? Childish things. You're going to quit fulfilling the lust of that flesh. You're going to do this instead. Then he says in verse 16 of chapter 1, I am not ashamed. Verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. By the way, there is a need, there's a reason why he's going to preach the gospel to him. Again, it's foundational and edification, laying it in. You need to understand that if you catch on to the love for the lost and have the proper motivation for the lost people, you've got to know who you're talking to. You need to understand them. Not, you need to understand them on a spiritual level. Not on a physical level. You can see that and take care of that. But you need to, under, you need to talk to them on a spiritual level. And you need to have the equipping to identify where someone is and someone isn't because that's going to determine how you approach and deal with them. You just can't tell everybody that Christ died for their sins because somebody's going to say, no, he didn't. Somebody else is going to say, who are you talking about? Well, the guy who says, no, he didn't, knows who Christ is, doesn't he, or has an idea. But the kid who says, no, who is this, you got to start at at number one with him. Over here, you're going to have to dig a little deeper and find out what they've been exposed to. That takes spiritual discernment. It takes maturity. It takes having and being properly equipped. Well, Rick, I never got there. I don't don't agree with that statement. I'll never get there. That's a cop-out honestly. You know why? Because Paul in Romans 1 says, I'm there, you can be here too. Well, you just don't know my life. I don't need to know your life. Paul says, the book says, I'm here, you can be here too. You follow that? It becomes an issue of your well, doesn't it? Sorry, Charlie. Hey, the book doesn't, <laughs> the book is plain and clear. You and I convoluted. Well, you do, I told the guys, uh, it was February, we were talking after one of the meetings, and I said, you know, I, don't, I have yet to find a yeah, but in a, fray, in a verse. Paul is going in Romans to anticipate problems. And questions come up. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, no, dummy. That's just stupid. Sorry, don't say the S word. That's just dumb. That's ignorant. Okay, that's better. Thank you. I had a kid on the bus tell me the other day, we don't use the S word. I'm like, yes. I didn't say it. It was another boy that said it. So I had to have a talk with him. She's watching, a little first grader, and she knows everything about, oh, my goodness. Anyway, you see, folks, Paul says, I can do it, so can you. And actually, you know what? God requires it of you. Why? Because he's given you all of it. See, that'll change your perspective, won't it? Maturity does that. Do you know that Paul never said, I want to die and go to heaven? 
He says, I would, I'm going to die, and I, it is to be with who? Christ. Now, heaven's going to be a wonderful thing, don't get me wrong, but he never said, I'm going to die and go to heaven. He says, I'm looking for the what? Blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Oh, well, I want to die and go to heaven. No, no Paul never said that. You know why? Because a mature understands where we're at. And who's important? And it's Christ. So then he says, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed. That isn't, I'm going to stand over in the corner and hide my face. Okay? That's how we think about being ashamed. It's rather, I know this stuff's going to work. Come over to Romans 5. Romans 5 again, where we started. Paul goes, folks, I know this message works. So you can't shut me up about this message. Remember that passage over there where Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner? Why would, ashamed, don't hide in the corner, Timothy. You know that this works. Your will. Romans 5, where we were just a minute ago. By the way, Romans chapter 5, when we get over to it, it's a, it, the, whole ch- the, the, the beginning of the chapter here is an introduction for the believer how to handle tribulation and trouble. So this is tribulation 101. Here's how you handle it, you know. He says, verse 2, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. Of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh pay. Do you know that if you if you let this sound doctrine work in your life and you glory in tribulations, the world thinks you're nuts? You realize that the people that you are around today maybe don't they think you coming here on a Sunday morning for three hours to listen to a guy babble about the Bible is nuts. It's madness. That's why Paul would say, you know, you guys think I'm mad, but I'm not really. You know? That's how the world, and yet we're to what? We're to love them. Only in the sound doctrine do we have this unnatural viewpoint concerning trouble. Because when trouble comes up, what does our flesh do? It doesn't glory in it. It does what? It boohoo's about it. It complains about it. You know? You get down about But who you, sound doctrine comes along and says what? No, man, glory in it. That perspective, the viewpoint. Now watch verse 4. And patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hope doesn't make a shame. Why? Because the love of Christ, the love of God, does what? The sound doctrine comes along and does what? Goes to work. Changes our viewpoint. Causes us to move from a negative, a Debbie Downer, to a, I don't know, what's the upper lady? What? 
you know, I don't know, I never heard, I never, I always heard about the Debbie Downers, but never the uppers, you know, right? Susie Sunshine, there you go, I heard that word, that's a good one. Debbie Downer to Susie Sunshine, okay? <laughs> Come over to chapter 8. You see, folks, Paul, chapter 8, what a passage here at the end of chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What a great question. If you have the proper perspective of spiritual maturity, the preservation of your will is going to kick in, and you know what you're going to say? Who can separate me? Well, guess what? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Isn't that interesting? He brings in the sword. Who's the sword? Well, we haven't got to chapter 13 yet. We're in chapter 8, and that's human government. They have the right of the sword. Who killed Paul? The government did. Isn't that interesting? Who killed the Lord Jesus Christ? The same government did. Rome. They come along and wield it. Who's in control of the, human, of the government right now? Satanic policy of evil is. The adversary is. So don't look for government to protect you. It ain't going to happen. Eventually they're going to get you. Verse 36, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Boy, he pulls out Psalms 44 there and says, Don't you think... Why? Because where's your perspective to be? Where's your viewpoint to be? Not down here, but where? What's God doing today? Filling up the heavenly places with you and I. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I love that verse. That was, my, that was the, uh, the high school I went to back in Chicago, Baptist school. We were the conquerors, and that was our school verse. Nay, in all these things, you know what that means? All those things are going to come your way. You're more than. You know what it is to be a conqueror, a victor? You just win, you, you, you win the day. But you know what it is to be a more than conqueror? It's to take those spoils of war and turn them for your benefit. Rome did that. If you study Roman history, they learned real quick as the Roman Empire began to expand that they couldn't be everywhere. So they would go in and conquer a, town, a city, a country, and give them the option to be slaves for the rest of their days or to become a free city who would give allegiance and taxes back to Rome and be under Roman rule and protection but not have a Roman presence. What did, they, what did Rome learn to be? A more than conqueror. More, take the situation and turn it for your benefit. But isn't that what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us? The light affliction worketh for us a far more weight of exceeding weight of glory. The things which are seen are temporal and the things which are not seen are eternal. For I am persuaded, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul starts the book of Romans, ends the introduction with these three marks of spiritual maturity. He is not requiring the Romans to be there yet. They're babes, they're learning. You know, you don't send a kindergartner out to fly a kite or um, uh, fly an airplane. They don't know enough. And he says, here's what those marks look like. I'm there, you can be there too. But you got to go through the process. He says, I'm a debtor. I have a treasure. i got to share it with you. Then he says, I'm ready. I'm filled with the fullness of God, with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and I'm not ashamed, and you can't stop me. And it's all because of the love of Christ that is in play. Okay? Now, we're going to go back into verse 16 next week and look at the gospel of Christ and to the Jew first and so forth, to the Greek, and deal with some of that. Because that's heavy in that verse in, in, in our understanding. Okay? But just catch what he's saying. And again, remember, he's not making this a requirement of the Romans. There are guys out there, men who teach this stuff, and they say, oh, he's requiring this of Romans. No, he's not. He says, I am. I'm your illustration. Here's what the goal is. The goal of all of the edification process is to get you to that status. These marks of faith, hope, and charity. To get you to those marks, okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son. That you've given all of that information, all of the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding to us in your word. And as we study it, that we would grow and that we too one day could say, as Paul says here, I'm a debtor, I'm ready, and I'm not ashamed. And then go about doing the work of the ministry with that attitude and with that level of maturity. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory and everything that we say and we do. In your name we pray. Amen.